everybody. Welcome to Marvel Champions Monthly. We have a very special episode for you all today. We're here today with Manny and Gavin, two of the Marvel Dice Throne game designers from the current ongoing Kickstarter. So, I want to let everybody introduce themselves. I have Americana with me here from the MCM team, Crimson, and Addercop couldn't make it because we kind of arranged this last minute, but we wanted to get it in right before the Kickstarter ended. So, how's it going, everybody? Great. Good. Yeah, it's great. Exciting. We're really happy to have you here. This is awesome. Really excited. Really excited for it. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having us on. Especially because, you know, this is the last, what, 72 hours of your Kickstarter. Yes. You guys probably have a lot going on, so we appreciate <laughs> you taking some time to talk about it with us. We're on the home stretch. It just takes a little bit of time to run one of those things. It's not like life changing <laughs> or anything like that. Yes. <laughs> It's actually improved over the years. We, we like, I, this is Gavin Brown talking. I guess we can introduce ourselves. I'm Gavin. I'm uh, the director of Roxley Games uh, and also one of the partners in Dice Throne. And I do a lot of branding stuff, which, you know, which includes uh, make, creating the Kickstarter page. Uh, I also do game design and, and graphic design um, for Dice Throne. A lot of hats. Manny? Yes. Uh, I'm Manny Trembley. Uh, I am one of the owners as well of Dice Throne. Um, uh, I am Nate can't be here today. He's one of the, he's the other owner and uh, creator of Dice Throne, and so he can't be here. But uh, Nate, all three of us do game design. Nate kind of heads up the development aspect of it. I kind of represent the illustration and the drawing art part of it, and. Uh, yeah, so that's about it for me. And uh, you were you were asking like about is it is it super busy? Like we've gotten to the point where we've we have lots of help too now. So Manny, like for much of this year, was insanely busy doing um, just hundreds and hundreds of illustrations uh, for not only the game but the video. Um, and I, you know, did the graphic design for the game. Uh, as well as uh, with help from Guy, which is a guy that uh, works for Roxley, uh, and he lives down in Brazil. Uh, but also the Kickstarter page, and also, you know, the video, the creative direction for the video and stuff like that. So, it, our our work, and especially for you know, when we're working with a licensor like Marvel, um, our work is actually due months in advance because it all has to go through approval processes yeah. and stuff. So this is we we actually can't uh, pivot that much like normally in a normal Kickstarter you're pivoting every day and what's the next stretch goal and what's the next uh, you know plan and the next puzzle and the next way to interact with the community and what are the current fires to put out uh, with this Kickstarter we had to be very very front loaded in terms of yep. preparation. I think it paid off because it's a pretty amazing Kickstarter page. It answers like all the questions you need. I stumble into a lot of Kickstarter pages where I can't even figure out like what's coming at the end. But the FAQ is even updated like daily. So if you haven't checked it out, you just Google Marvel Dice Throne. It'll take you right to it. Yeah, um, You'll find it real fast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks. So I guess one of our first questions was our show is mainly focused on a card game Marvel Champions. Mm -hmm. So we were hoping you could give like a 60 second elevator pitch if you're stuck in an elevator with someone and you want to sell them on buying Dice Throne and playing it. How would you explain the game and hook them in? Go for it, Gavin. Man, you take oh, it. you want me to take it? Okay. <laughs> so when I, I describe it to people often as like, uh, you know, fantasy combat Yahtzee is, you know, we get to fight people with Yahtzee mechanics. Um, and obviously it's deeper than that and it's richer than that, but that often makes people go raise an eyebrow and wonder, oh, what is this you're talking about? One of the developers, um, or sorry, the, the main designer of the game who designed the initial system, Nate Chatelier, who's a very talented uh, game designer, he was he's actually a longtime Magic the Gathering player, so you know, the round structure for Dice Throne is actually akin to what you'd see in a lot of um, a lot of uh, LCGs or or like um, uh, Magic the Gathering, essentially, um, where there's main phases and you know, there's a main phase and a, a you know dice rolling phase, uh, attack phase, and then a defense phase, and then you get another 
main phase where you can play certain cards before or after you're doing your sort of Yahtzee dice roll. Um, so there is there is kind of it, it does lend itself somewhat in terms of the card play to games like Marvel Champions or Magic the Gathering. And admittedly, I have not played Marvel Champions before, so <laughs> I get dodge tomatoes from your audience here. So, um, well, yeah, I was gonna I was gonna say. Um... Playing Dice Throne, I I got I got that vibe, the Magic the Gathering vibe yep. with the with the different phases, and I, you know, my wife plays a lot of games with me, and having just the round structure on a card that can be in front of every player, just so, super helpful. Um, and that's a little thing, but uh, anyway, you know, this is the main phase. This is the second main phase. Anyway, that it it was very brilliantly done to have it on a on an individual card for each player. I was just going to say one of the primary goals with Dice Throne was its ease of learning. It, I truly believe it's a game that can be picked up quickly. It can be learned quickly, uh, ranging from my kids who are, you know, nine and 11 up to uh, my wife's dad who lives with us. Um, you know, we play, it's in great, we're normally an Uno house, but uh, everyone here can play Dice Throne. So awesome. Another, uh, you know, if you just, if we talked about like the dynamics of, of the game, obviously there's massive asymmetry between each of the characters. So that's obviously one of the draws. Um, but really the game is about, um, and why people love the game uh, and why it does so successful at cons is because there, it's a very, it provides a very consistent um, experience of excitement. So, people will, you know, it's really hard to roll. You have an ultimate ability on your board. It's very hard to roll. But very often, like, new players at cons, when they're sitting down playing it, will experience an ultimate in their first little demo game. Um, and there's, you know, it's such an exhilarating feeling that people will often be screaming and hollering. Or when you get closer to the end of the match, the, the game is uh, almost almost designed not to really have a lot of blowouts. Um, it can happen, but the game is very. The characters are are quite balanced, um, and what you'll see is, you know, often games will come down to I have one health left and you have ten, and it's, you know, it's my turn, and then I hit you with my ultimate, and and I just barely win the game, um, which is, you know, if you're if you're into a game that provides excitement um, more than it does puzzle solving. Um, Dice Throne is definitely a game for you. And I've played, you know, with my kids, you know, w well, with Manny and, and the team, I've played hundreds of games, but I've also played hundreds of games with my, with my family. It's an amazing game to play with, you know, your, your kids or your, your, uh, significant other. Um, yeah. So that's kind of the sales pitch from my end. A good sales pitch. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Well, so you guys have talked a little bit about Nate's not here. Uh, you gave us some background on him, you know, with his Magic the Gathering um, background, or at least playing it, right? So can you tell us just a little bit about each of yourselves with your history of gaming? Okay, uh, so uh, this is Gavin. Uh, I'm basically, my, my history of gaming, I, I come from the video game world in terms of being a game player. Um, so Roxley kind of, our first game was like in 2014. Um, and when, how I got into board games was uh, the, I played Carcassonne, um, at a friend's house and I had been sort of conditioned to believe, you know, board games suck, you know, because you, you, you have all these like classic games, you know, Monopoly is a great game, but you know, it does, does it need to be on the shelves for a hundred years? Um, maybe, maybe not. But when I was started getting into, when I first got into board games, I actually didn't know that. You know, Euro games and and really modern board games designs even existed or were even possible. So I played Carcassonne with uh, with uh, my wife's uh, cousin, um, who uh, it, and when I after I played that, I kind of just stared at the table with my my brain was just exploding with ideas, like in sort of like a just astonishment that you could create a game like this this good uh a board game this good and i'd never seen mechanics like that before 
um, in video games. And now you look at things like Slay the Spire and a lot of a huge amount of indie games. They're taking so much, um, you know, inspiration from from board games um, as they should be, because there's so much, you know, from a social level um, that can't be sort of touched um, with video games. Still, you know, still there's there's board games that you just can't have that social, especially from the social perspective, that experience uh, in a video game. So that's kind of how I got into into board games. So you know, after playing you know several you know uh, several board well a lot of board games, I became obsessed with them. Um, and I was a graphic designer, and I um, and I I wanted to actually be a video game designer for the longest time, but I realized like you know you need a huge team of, of people to make video games, um, and not not necessarily anymore because of the tools that are available um, have improved for indie developers for video games, but you know, I wanted to make, I wanted to be a game designer and make something that was, that one person could make. And that's really where board game, you know, it's kind of like being an author, right? Like an author, if you want to make a story, you can write a book, right? If you have the determination to do so. Um, so that's where I really um, started getting into the idea of publishing games and designing games. So I'd gotten into game design in probably in about 2008. I joined a, a we, I, I was one of the co-founders of a group called Game Artisans of Canada. Uh, worked on many, many failed prototypes. Uh, eventually came came up with a a dueling real-time boxing game called Jab, which is one of the games I'm most proud of even today because of how weird and innovative it. I still feel it is. It's, it was a game that was definitely not for everybody. It was for basically a a demographic that didn't exist in the board game space because it was real time. So it was like a video, like playing a real time video game. And, uh, it's a very, it's quite strategic, it's quite, quite skill based, but it actually inspired a lot of panic in a lot of people who played it. Um, so that was uh, definitely a learning experience for me in terms of like, just because you think a game is good or even if it is good, doesn't mean that there's a market of people who are going to play it. Um, and then we moved on to like, uh, you know, doing Super Motherload, and then Steampunk Rally, and then uh, Santorini, and then we redid uh, Brass, and then took on Dice Throne, and here we are. Um, and with our latest release, which is Radlands, which just came out. And um, yeah, that's that's kind of my <laughs> my history of getting into game publishing and, and sort of board games in general. Yeah, that's a cool... Uh story of how you pivoted so i appreciate that uh, mine is uh slightly less dramatic um i honestly we nate and i made dice throne after we both got laid off from a app video game company and that was my first foray into board game making prior to that i did app development uh and worked on i worked for the company cyan worlds who did mist and riven but I only worked, I worked there a few years. So other than making my own comic books along the way, I didn't really do any board gaming other than Monopoly and Uno prior to making Dice Throne. I, I guess it's not, that's not totally true. I played War Machine, so a tabletop uh, war game for quite a few years. But uh, then Dice Throne was born. Uh, and that was in 2016, August of 2016. So we just had our five-year anniversary of the day Nate and I went, hey, you want to make a board game? And we said, okay. It worked out. And yeah. Yes. <laughs> you didn't just play War Machine, though. You you were like, uh, com- you, you did community stuff. For I did. I prep. did. I was a press ganger. I also did concept art for their min- some of their miniatures. Um, so, yeah, I, I was more heavily involved. The uh, the Dice Throne community is very um, engaged and very tight knit and flourishing. It and it always has flourished. And I think a big reason why it's flourished so well is because of Manny's dedication and ability to create a community around Dice Throne through his experience, like all obviously partially through his experience with um, with War Machine. Yeah. Can you tell us where the best place for someone to get engaged with the Dice Throne community is? I know there's a big Facebook group and there's a Discord. Is there anything else we should be looking out for? 
I think that's kind of the majority of it, really. It's Discord and then our Facebook community group. Um, I'm sure there are people on Reddit. I don't really travel in that circle, so I don't really know. Yeah, same. I think like there's a Reddit community, and I it's not moderated by us, but so I think that some people talk about Dicer on there as well. But the biggest one is obviously Facebook. Yeah. Sweet. So that was a really cool like history in your gaming. Do you have a specific history in Marvel, like a favorite character or villain from the comics or movies? And uh, how did the Marvel IP draw itself to Dice Throne, or like how did you guys come up with the idea to use Marvel and Dice Throne like the perfect uh, union of, of systems here? Yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, I, I we definitely have to give props to Nate here. Um, Nate is a very forward-thinking dreamer, businessman type personality. Um, he's got big vision. So when, when Nate and I first started out, we kind of had a loose roadmap. Um, he's he's written about it a few different places on Facebook and posted it, shared it elsewhere, but our like five-year plan and 10-year plan. And one of his big d- dreams, desires, was to have a Marvel version of Dice Throne. And I forget when it was, but it was very early, like the first year, second year of us working on this, where that was something he he was very passionate about wanting to to line up. And IP, but specifically Marvel. And I, I, I'll speak for him a little bit here. He shared this before, but... He uh, he loves the Marvel movies. He loves the franchise. His family does. Uh, he dressed up as Doctor Strange. His whole family was Marvel heroes for Halloween. I mean, he's got a he's got a real passion for it. Um, and I know for myself, um, I I was 15 when I read my first X Men comic book, and it was I, it was Uncanny X Men. I forget which one, and it had a double page spread of Storm. On the it was like first page, second page, two page spread of storm dodging lasers in space, and I was like, "Oh my goodness, this is amazing! I want to draw comic books." And so I spent a, a large part of my life trying to draw superhero comics and make Marvel books and stuff like that, uh, successfully failing all the way up until we made Marvel Dice Throne. So you also though. Uh, d- did a lot of Kickstarter Kickstarters selling comic books. That is true. I, I have self-published a number of books. I also published some books with Image Comics. But uh, uh, I mostly, you know, like like the next guy, um, dwell in the MCU. I was an Image Comics guy uh, when I was a teenager. Um, but yeah, I I think Thor is my favorite hero, and uh, definitely wanted him to to be in this series or in this uh, in this game and. Uh, yeah, I think the the marriage of you know, you know over the years people have always said, when are you going to make a Marvel dice throne? Or you know what would be perfect is if your dice if dice throne had Marvel characters. Um, so we it was kind of and everybody kind of knew that. Um, it just the system really lends it because it's you're playing a character and it's all about that character. Um, it and the character has abilities like it, the system just screams marvel more than any other game i've played actually so that's kind of how we we together you know decided really to pursue this did you do you have a a favorite character manny um i definitely i think spider-man resonated me resonated with me most growing up um i think if i had to say my favorite it was probably long shot um i loved the mojo verse and his quirkiness and his little three-fingered hands and like his like Arthur Adams was one of my favorite artists back in the late 80s and so he had a really epic run on Longshot and so I think that that's arguably one of my my personal favorites but I don't I don't like have Longshot posters on my wall or anything not yet not yet <laughs> <laughs> well, uh Gavin, you had mentioned you you admitted you admitted to not having played Marvel Champions and that's okay. Um <laughs> you just let us know when you want to when you when you want to get on Tabletop Simulator and, and get a couple games in and we can make that happen. Sure. Great. That would actually be great cuz I actually own it <laughs> and I've been meaning to play with my kids. Um 
So knowing how to play is half the battle. So I'd love to, I'd love to take you up on that. We can make it happen. So, so getting it, we want to get into the, the Kickstarter a little bit, right? You, this is the last, I think, let me pull it up here. I think we're down to like 50, how many hours as of this recording? 56 hours, something like that left. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's obviously, congratulations. This is a, a hugely successful Kickstarter. Um, I, I think the first day you had over $800,000 in backing um, with, I, I think if you average it out, you're at almost $100,000 a day. You're, you're almost at $2 million. Um, it's like 1.8, almost $1.9 million. Um, yeah, pretty so cool. Con- that's, that's huge. Obviously. Yeah. Um, congratulations guys. Thank you. Thank you. And I think, you know, if I, if I, if I'm looking at proper stats, um, this funding, this campaign is ranked 246th currently out of all of the Kickstarters all time. That's cool. I don't that's even like know where to see that. <laughs> over 400,000. 000- <laughs> Campaigns. This is this ranks two hundred and forty sixth. Four hundred thousand campaigns. That's madness. <laughs> this is this is huge to say the least, right? Um, when, when does this? When does it actually end? Because today is Friday, the twelfth of November. When does the campaign actually end? Sunday at midnight. Is there is there a late pledge? You know, for the like pledge manager, all that kind of stuff. Or, or is it just Sunday at midnight? It's over. Yes, yes, yes. There will be the, a pledge manager will start. I don't know if it's Monday, but I think it's next week. I, 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 I want to say Monday, but I'm not actually 100 okay. percent sure on that. Yeah, we have, and the pledge manager will be shorter than our normal campaigns um, because we're, you know, yes, we're, we're trying. We're actually more prepared for this campaign than I think we've ever been for any other campaign. Um, we want to hit the ground running and, you know, get the files to the factory as, as soon as we can here. And we've already got like all the dice samples and the metal Thor hammer and they all look amazing and we're super happy with it. Of course, there's always potential problems and stuff, but you know, we, we've definitely got our ducks in a row here and we're hoping to, we're hoping to meet our, our, uh, delivery dates, which are pretty pretty aggressive in this uh with the you know worldwide global freight crisis that's going on um but we're as prepared as we can be um and we're gonna do our best to meet our deadlines yeah so so for anyone wondering the the kickstarter campaign is very well like dan said um very well thought out very well organized and it has this timeline and you're expecting fulfillment hopefully to begin in june of 2022 right that's the that's the goal that is the goal. That's that's pretty quick. So, well, this is the first time where cuz usually there's there's stuff to like do like there's a bit, a bit more art to do, there's more balancing to do. Like we've signed off like the game's been balanced and tested for months and months now. Um and Manny finished all the art long long time ago. So there's some pre-press stuff to do, but the game's done basically. You know, it's ready to be produced. Um, we have to obviously sign off on samples and then, you know, Marvel has to sign off on those samples as well. But, you know, for the most part, we're ready to rock here. There's a couple different pledge tier levels, right? You can get sort of the battle chest, Mm -hmm. which is the eight characters. Um, do you want to rattle off the characters so people can know what cool stuff they're getting? Sure. There's uh, miles Morales, Spider-Man, there's Thor, Loki, Captain Marvel, Dr. Strange, Black Panther, Scarlet Witch, and Black Widow. Really cool. It's like a really diverse cast, yeah. and all their powers are diverse. So it's just there's a another tier where you can get a couple play mats, um, a dice tray, and some card sleeves, and then there's a tier where you get all the play mats. And these play mats are beautiful. Yeah, I used one as my mouse pad slash keyboard pad uh, from season one, which is the Paladin. I have five of them on my desk. <laughs> stacked no not stacked i will say manny the the art i'm i'm really happy that you guys decided to use manny's art style and and make it a continuation of the previous dice thrones um because i mean it has that you have that unique or or distinct style but it's with these characters that marvel fans love so i think that's really cool and 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 i will say the thanks the playmats really show that too 
Yeah, I, it was really important to us when we when we set out. We we had some we definitely had some stipulations in our own minds as to what it would require of us or what we would require if we were to do a Marvel Dice Throne. And, and one of those was for me to make the art. We we wanted that and we felt like it would be a great way to ease Dice Throne fans into the Marvel universe, but also kind of reverse it a little bit. You know, obviously art is subjective. Some people will love it, some people won't. But I think that the I think it, it kind of presents a, a a slight new flavor to the Marvel heroes. Um, you know, it's not like groundbreakingly different, but it definitely has a unique flavor. Absolutely. Well, it's really hard to find consistent art in the Marvel universe because there's so many artists going in the comics. Everybody draws people differently and family friendly art, which this game is very family friendly tabletop, like perfect for families. So I think the characters you picked and the art you ended up with is exactly what I would expect from a Dice Throne game. So I'm, as the Dice Throne fan that has the first two seasons, I'm super happy with the Marvel Dice Throne art. Very cool, thanks. Speaking of that, how does this set interact with the old Dice Throne seasons? Some people might have season one. This is like the third big foray of characters in Dice Throne. Are they all interchangeable? Yeah, all, all Dice Throne product is cross-compatible. So that's kind of the best way of putting it. Awesome. And does that include Dice Throne Adventures? And can you give us a little description? This is mainly like a co-op podcast, so I think a lot of people are interested in co-op games. So if they wanted to take these Marvel characters and play a co-op version of Dice Throne, does that exist? Um, you can for sure use the Marvel characters in the Dice Throne Adventures game. And yes. they've been, they've been test, we've tested them as well, our beta, beta team. Yes. So yes, they are fully functional in Dice Throne Adventure and quite fun. Can you give people an overview of how Dice Throne Adventure works and how it's different from just the classic PvP Dice Throne? So Dice Throne Adventure, you're you're going uh, through a series of... Basically, there's two types of missions that you go through. So one's a dungeon crawl uh, where you're revealing tiles. Uh, tile will have some kind of effect or challenge on it. And uh, most of the time, it will also have you fighting against a minion, we call them, uh, which are basically bad mobs or, you know, bad guys. And so each minion has, they, you know, they have a roll objective and you're rolling basically uh, with using AI rules. You're, you're rolling uh, to try to get their, one of their abilities to happen. Uh, and you follow specific rules when you're re rolling and re-rolling. So you, you're not actually trying to, you're not using any logic. It's just a very simple AI system. Um, so they, you're, you're, you take your turn against them, just as you take a normal dice throne turn against them. And then they, you, you basically take their turn for them. And usually somebody else at the table, that's not you, unless you're playing solo, will do that for you. Um, so you go through this, uh, this series of tiles in the dungeon crawl trying to get to the portal and the portal will lead you to a boss fight. Um, after, and then, so the boss fight is its own mission um, or scenario. Uh, after each scenario, whether it's a portal crawl or a, uh, or a boss fight, you get to go shopping at a, at the loot vendor um, and you get to add stuff to your deck. Um, also each, each, uh, uh, minion that you defeat in the in the portal crawl will give you a reward, uh, which is generally a roll on the loot table. And so there's a, a loot table that you, where you can also gain loot cards to add to your deck, and you get health and you get gold, uh, which is used to buy loot cards. So we added a sort of loot lottery systems, you know, which is was inspired by Diablo and and you know those types of games where there's random drops. Um, which can also be a huge windfall in, you know, if you're, you might be close to death and you roll on the loot table when you barely beat a guy and, and they, you, you, you barely heal up in time before you, before you die, you know, um, there's, the game is quite challenging, uh, which we want it to be. And that's probably attractive to, to Marvel champions fans. Um, it's very, it's very intense throughout, um, there, and there's a lot of, uh, discussion and full cooperation that is required uh if you want to be successful in in defeating 
the Mad King at the end of the game. One thing I would add, it's actually really fascinating, is that because Dice Throne is built on a dueling system, uh, players can start to kind of fall into a groove of how you play a hero. Like, what's the optimal way to play the Barbarian or Shadow Thief or whatever when a dueling setting? But when you bring the same heroes into the Dice Throne Adventures ecosystem, you you kind of have to take on a mind change of how you play differently. When a cooperative play comes in, when the, the style of play, how you use status effects, cards, card use is huge. Um, and so it's really, it's one of my favorite parts of Dice Throne Adventures is how it kind of flips the paradigm a little bit on how a dueling system operates in a cooperative game. Yeah, and get uh, abilities that you might not use very often in uh, in a dueling scenario become useful. So the Barbarian's Heal, for example, can often be quite useful uh, in Dice Throne Adventure where Manny would never, ever want to do that in a <laughs> dueling scenario. <laughs> oh. Awesome. Yeah, that's that's a cool point. I've actually never played Adventures, so um, that's, that's new for me. I mean, obviously our podcast is about a cooperative game. Um, I'm super into cooperative, but um, more surprisingly to some of my co-hosts, I do a lot of um, one-on-one fighting games like Unmatched and Summoner Wars and things like that. So Unmatched is great. They're great games. So um, I'm happy to to play any of those types of games, and it's fun to see that you are able to port that over to um, a cooperative style game as well. It just shows that there's a lot. You guys have a lot of thought into. Um, what you want to do with this world and the system. Uh, and I think that's, I think a lot of fans, a lot of players, board gamers can appreciate that. So. Yeah. One of the objectives for, for Dice Stone Adventure was to actually make, it was to increase, you know, increase the value of the product mm-hmm. that you've already purchased. Right. So you've got this dueling game. Okay. Now you can, play the cooperative version which is a completely different experience and you only need to buy the the cooperative components um because you already own the characters you know and you can go in with any characters yep. that you already own so, so so getting into i know that you know with with specific um licensing issues we're not going to ask you those types of questions but with designing we want to talk a little bit about designing the characters for the the Marvel yeah. Dice Throne so and it's probably different for each of the eight that we have. Um, but when you designed a new character, when you came up with a new character, so for example, Thor, um, did you start with like the idea of throwing Mjolnir, for example, like that that mechanic, that hook, and then, uh, I guess, let me ask it this way. Was there something that stood out that would make sense as an interesting new mechanic to throw into Dice Throne? And then build a, around it on that way, or is it like I want this character? We're gonna find a way to make this character work thematically and into the dice throne ecosystem. Does that make sense? Yeah, I would say it's. I would say it's a mixture of like you're basically saying is was it? Do we design by theme or do we design by mechanisms? And I think it was kind of a mixture. Yep. Like, uh, for example, the Loki, Loki's illusions uh, that Nate came up with, he he really wanted this like social deduction, where you know we as a group wanted a sort of social dedu- deduction sort of mechanic in the game, and because we'd never mm-hmm. done that before, right? So with Loki, you put down your three illusions, and then you point to which one you think that your opponent should choose, and so you're you're lying and bluffing. Mm-hmm. It's a bluffing mechanic, and. So that's never been done. So we wanted, I think, a big, huge goal for us in the, when we were designing the heroes for the season were uh, were asymmetry. We we wanted we wanted th- them to all feel quite different, but also, uh, you know, different mechanics that we've never used before. So definitely, that was top of mind, right? And so, Mjolnir was was uh, was one such mechanic where. Well, I think I think Mjolnir just came from the theme, actually, um, where it was, you know, obviously we're going to be able to throw Mjolnir because that's <laughs> yes. fun and awesome. Okay. Yes, I, I think I would I would add that. I mean, I would affirm everything Gavin said. 
But I think uh, when whenever you're designing a game, like there there are a lot of licensed products out there, and sometimes those licensed products are they like Uno. I'm gonna take Uno as a great example, which is like the most popular game in my house. The idea of going from Uno to Harry Potter Uno is literally the difference of one card, I think, and swapping the pictures. Right? And now it's Harry Potter Uno, but my family bought Harry Potter Uno because they loved it. And they were like, we get to play Harry Potter Uno, yay! You know? Um, Whereas we definitely did not want that. We did not want to swap art and names and abilities and then just take the common Marvel characters and put them in a box. Even though I think we probably could have sold that. I think people probably would have bought, especially new people coming to the game out there in the world. But the design challenge of making it unique, making it feel fresh, uh, pushing the envelope. Nate loves to say every time we hop into new designs, he's like, we should break the game. We should break new ground. We should break our own rules. We should push hard against what we've already done to make new things, new mechanics. Uh, Reality Warp for Scarlet Witch is a good one. Thor's Hammer, Loki's Illusions, Doctor Strange's Spellbook. Uh, even as simple as Miles Morales's uh, combo status effect, which grants people the ability to take a whole n- another offensive role phase, which is huge in the game. And uh, arguably one of my favorites is the Kinetic Energy status effect that Black Panther has, which it's just a, it, on the surface, it's just a damage modifier. But the way you acquire them, how they build, how they amplify damage, and then how they explode just is so much fun when playing. Yeah, Dan really taught me how to yeah. the the, uh, the benefits of playing as Black Panther versus Thor with the kinetic energy. I'll just Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yep, true. I, I will say though, um, the, the the people that I've talked to about this specific game the marvel version um or the, the marvel game is they're they're super excited about loki the, the most the most i've heard and i think it has to do with this almost out of left field idea where there's this bluffing involved now right <laughs> yes. i mean so I, it goes to show that uh, again congratulations guys at pushing the envelope and making these characters feel thematic but also pushing the envelope in in the mechanisms that you're actually using for these specific characters. Yeah. So it's good job. Awesome. Like the idea of always trying to do something new or something that breaks the game. That's like the perfect mindset to have when designing something like this. Yeah. And we, we've had some like uh, on board game geek, there's, there's a guy who kind of said, well, they're using up all their ideas for season three. Um, and that's, I, I'm not, I don't believe that ideas are finite personally. Um, and, you know, even if we did, you know, there obviously there is a limited design space in all games and we the, the Dice Throne design space is quite massive. Um, but even if we did start to approach the ends of that, because all the heroes are self-encapsulated, they have their own leaflet and their own custom rules, we could simply just add, add new mecha- mechanics, which we've done with co- like companions weren't in the original dice thrown and then we're like okay let's add a companion um and it's just something that you know a, a, a tile that you have or or dial in nira's case that can't be touched or destroyed by the other player it's not a status effect so we'd add we, we would if we did ever get to the end of this road we would just add more more mechanics to increase the design space and the design of the actual product design where each hero is just self-encapsulated really allows for that to happen without even changing the rule book because we can just add those additional rules right to the leaflet. Perfect. So the, the eight characters you guys have selected for the Marvel version of Dice Throne are literally like boiling over with theme. Which character do you think is the most thematic of the eight you've picked? And did you use any specific like comic lore or research to to push that theme to the next level? Oh, interesting. Um, it's hard to pick one of the best eight things, right? They're all really good. So. 
If I if I I'll, I'll pick one, Gavin. You can pick one if you want as well. Sure. The first one that pops to my mind is Miles. I yep. think when I when I think about like getting beat up by Spider Man and getting punched repeatedly over and over, while especially with Miles because the nature of his character is one that can turn invisible and he can you know his venom punch his little like lightning electrical blasts that he can do and the, i mean when you when you dig into miles he's not peter parker right he's not the traditional spider-man and so being able to create what i would consider a lower complexity hero but also have it just like every time you get a combo, you're excited and you feel like you're just pummeling the opponent. It's not a thousand damage every hit, but it's just like these little jabs here and there, left, right, left, right. And then how his defense allows for his ability to, does he want to punch you back or does he want to try to dodge and get out of the way? And that feels very Spider-Man to me. Is Spider-Man takes hits. He always, like you look through the comic books, he's constantly getting punched and getting smashed up against the wall. But then he flips around and punches you back or dances around or whatever. And then how he is able to funnel invisibility into amplifying different abilities, defense or otherwise, just feels, it's super fun. And I think it, to me, it's one of the most dynamic and fun play experiences. Yeah, he's really, uh, he's about harassment and, you know, he's, <laughs> He's punching you on one side, then he's kicking you in the back of the head, you know, the next second. Like, he's hopping around you, and that's really how combo feels. It's very thematic, yeah. Um, For me, I would say, I don't know, it's, <laughs> they're all, they're all quite thematic. I would say uh, one that, you know, we really extrapolated, tried to extrapolate more. Um, then even from what I've seen from the comic research that, that I did, uh, was black widow. Um, you know, she has a, you know, an interesting dynamic where she basically gets more powerful over the course of the, over the course of the game. Um, you know, basically I, we wanted her to really feel like a spy and that she's, you know, as a spy would do preparing intelligence and, and gathering intelligence she makes her more and more prepared for the battle as as it kind of goes on um and also her you know ticking ticking time bomb which i don't even know if if was in the comics but you know <laughs> brian brian who works with us as he's a, like a consult a comic book he's a he's a encyclopedia of comic book uh, he, he works for marvel he's yeah, our contact he, at marvel and uh he was like, yeah, great. Uh, you know, absolutely. She would, you know, that is something that she would do. So there, there actually was also some extrapolation, like everything obviously has to be thematic and, and has to be approved by Marvel. But, you know, some things were, were, we, I would say are, are thematic to that character and almost like it's interesting because it feels like in a way it brings something more than what you've, I don't know, at the risk of sounding whatever, it, it brings something more than what you've even seen from Black Widow in the movies and gives a new appreciation for her when, because the movies can't really get into the real nitty gritty of how she operates the way, the way you can when you're sort of embodying her, I guess. It almost feels, you know, like, like role playing um with a lot of the characters because you because you you are the character and you are embodying the character while you're playing them and it really feels that way so part of part of it is like the game says it's this way so that's the way the character is um but for the but for the you know there was there was very little of that and most of it we got you know out of comic books and obviously MCU references so you can you can feel free to decline comments on this answer, but one of our co-hosts who couldn't be here wouldn't let me live if I didn't ask this question. So the question is, how are the duck? When? <laughs> um, how are the uh, Manny would have to answer that. <laughs> He's the one drawing him. Um, 
Yeah, I'm going to say uh, hashtag stay tuned. Oh, nice. I guess. Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, on a more serious note, you guys are you're both involved in the art and design of this of this game, right? If I and um, mm-hmm. uh, we've already talked yes. a lot about the art and and how like the playmats look and everything, but but going into the design of the power levels for these different characters, right? Because um, Thor, he's the god of thunder. He's, he's literally a god. Ver- and this comes up a lot too when we talk about Marvel champions, but versus Miles Morales, who, yeah, he has superpowers, but he's more of a street level hero, right? So um, how do you find, did you find it difficult to determine the power levels? I mean, obviously you keep things as balanced as you can, um, but you know, what's that line that you had to walk in, in developing these different characters based on the different power levels, like Dr. Strange and Scarlet, Witch are some of the most powerful heroes in Marvel comics. Yes. Well, unfortunately, <laughs> Thor, Thor can one shot, um, Spider-Man in, in Marvel. <laughs> Dice Just kidding. No. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we kind of, I mean, like you have to do with every sort of head-to-head two-player game. It's not fun if, reality is not fun. That's why we play games. So they're quite quite balanced. I, I think one of the key things when you're designing anything like this is the, like Nate as a, Nate's a programmer by trade. And so one of the his big strengths is mathematical balancing. And I think any game that uses lots of dice probability has has to be tightly balanced for that. Um, and he does an incredible job doing that and leading that. Um, but one of the things we we want on top of that is the feeling of balance, the feeling of of power. And so when you're playing Captain Marvel. I mean, come on, let's think about it here. Who 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 flew in through giant spaceships at the end of, you know, an endgame, right? She is literally arguably one of the most powerful characters that has existed in the entire MCU. And she's gonna fight Black Widow, right? I mean if we if we if people really want to get into this argument, right? But when you're playing those characters, you want to feel like, ah, oh, I'm Black Widow. I could totally take down Captain Marvel. I can take down Thor. I can fight Doctor Strange, you know, Scarlet Witch, etc. Right? And when you're that that that's what I want. And when the person sits down, they're like, "I'm Black Widow, and I'm totally gonna subvert the odds. I'm gonna take down these these juggernauts." And obviously, ob- obviously, we've had discussion, lots of discussions about this, mm-hmm. and we've even like. Okay, well, maybe they're in some kind of simulation where no, <laughs> this is this is basically like it's like Smash Bros, right? This is like a what if scenario, kind of like what if their powers were balanced, basically. <laughs> That's, it's great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 like Batman beating Superman, right? Like that's like the quintessential argument kids have or comic book nerds had for years, and. That's it's just a great. I mean, some people get really riled up about it, but really, when you boil it down, it's just fun. It's just fun to jostle with superheroes and titans and and embrace that part. How difficult was it to cut the roster to eight characters? And were <laughs> were these the eight you started with, or did it like morph and change throughout the development process? Definitely changed and morphed. And yeah. there was there was some that should, should we talk about some that didn't make the cut, Manny? I drew, I drew a piece of art for Squirrel Girl because I was petitioning to have her in the game. I would have, I would have bought it. I'm just saying. <laughs> Manny fought hard for Squirrel Girl. I did, but I mean, I, I think it's interesting because obviously there, there are, there are thousands and thousands of Marvel superheroes. So the truth is, is can we make everybody happy with our choice? No, we can't. Um. So part of it has to start with what heroes do we want in the box? The Dice Storm was built on the principle of making a game for us. You know, Gavin has to like it. I have to like it. Nate has to like it. 
Yeah, if we're not passionate, the game's not going to be good. Yep. We have to be excited. So there was there was quite a stringent process. And again, I'll, I'll uh, pat Nate on the back and be like, he he kind of like led the way towards having an, an objective view of what heroes we consider, what heroes, you know, using. He, he, I think he talked about it one time, but he had kind of like a spreadsheet that we used. So it's like we used math to find our balance in, in, a, in a certain way. Where like thinking about what heroes are popular, right? Because that, that is important. Like what heroes do you guys want to play, right? We want to think about that stuff. But also what heroes do we want? It's our game. So we should have a say in the heroes we make. But then on top of it, there's a kind of a third layer is what heroes are interesting to play? What offer interesting mechanics? Yes. And some of our some of the ones that made it that didn't make the final cut but almost made it. Mm-hmm. Uh here I'll sp- I'll I'll say one. Mm-hmm. Rocket Rocket and Groot. Yep. And the reason they didn't make it was because we just felt other heroes would have would have been made for more interesting gameplay. Mm-hmm. And that's that and and if you know you know, I they I was challenged because I was fighting for Rock and Groot, and I was challenged with, well, okay, tell me the mechanics then, and how they're gonna, how it's gonna be interesting. And at the time, I didn't have, I didn't have an answer, but that doesn't mean we couldn't make, you know, if we if we ever did, which we don't know if we're gonna do, or if even Marvel would want to do another Marvel Dice Throne season. But if we did, then maybe we would, you know, by then I would have solved it, or one of us would have an idea of of how you know what their core shtick is right we don't want to just like we don't want to just put in characters like this character is awesome therefore it should be in the game no they have to be fun right that's that's actually the most important thing is they got to be fun but when it yep. boils down to it really what, what we're doing is playing games you're, you're just playing games yes. games for people to to go and play right so 100 yes. percent. i i yep. appreciate that that that's some that's like the number one thing in your guys's mind is Hey, well, we we want to design it for us, but also we just need to have fun. Yep. So, so yep. speaking of, you got these eight characters. You, who's your favorite to play as? So, playing the game. I mean, when you're when you who is there one that you gravitate toward? You're like, I want to play this. Maybe it's the mechanisms, or maybe it's the theme. But you're just like, this is the one I ideal. I mean, ideally, you want to play all of them. But is there one that stands out more than the others? I have one, Gavin. Which, what's yours? Um, uh, it's such a toss-up for me. I, 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 they're so they're all so good, but I probably gravitate towards Thor the most. Um, I love throwing the hammer and retrieving it, and you know I can throw it and retrieve it and smash it off you three times, and then somebody else. And I, I love, I love that mechanism, and I love. You know his he so he there you know in in game design you really want not necessarily everything to be powerful you want everything to have the illusion of power right like everything has to feel powerful right and that's when we're talking when you're talking about balancing these heroes and how do you balance Captain Marvel well you, you got to make you got to make Captain Marvel's abilities feel powerful right and with mm-hmm. Thor when I when I play Thor and I hit his large straight I'm like oh my goodness that is a what an amazing large straight that is. And he just feels feels very powerful to me. And I love that you can spend electrokinesis to draw a card. So he's got this like very minor card milling ability, which is I always I actually gravitate towards any character that allows for any sort of card mill, milling. Um and he's got like really strong and interesting hand management. So not even necessarily the the specific mechanism of of how his card management works but like the dynamic of his card management um is it feels like an interesting puzzle because you need to spend cards to throw mjolnir and retrieve it um and that choice of like which card do i have a card that i can ditch for that or about this upgrade can i should i save this upgrade as a resource to throw mjolnir so that kind of stuff uh, really makes me gravitate towards thor he also has a special place in my heart because um, this season was the first uh, season where I actually was able to take a f- 
uh, a few heroes and s- s- create the core design for them. Uh, and Thor was the first uh, dice stone hero that I ever that I ever actually led the led the design for. So take all of my opinions with a massive that's grain. That's fair. Stuff. You could. That's, that's valid. <laughs> Uh, so mine is Scarlet Witch. Um, if I could pick the Barbarian, I would, because he's still my favorite character in all of Dice Throne. But there is something, when I play the game, obviously the objective of Dice Throne is to win, to be the last person standing. But there is something about Dice Throne when I play it that my, my primary objective is to create a dynamic game state and to have chaos and crazy things happen and fun energy and all kinds of junk. And if I lose in the process, so be it. I don't, I don't care. And so <clears throat> when I play Scarlet Witch, there's just something about the, the chaos of her character and how fragile she is and how hard it is to like keep her alive while you're trying to, you know, to steal a, a phrase from the pyro to to burn the to scorch the earth or die trying right, so just that the dynamicness of her uh, damage output, her abilities, and then when I get to warp someone's reality by making them roll one of my dice, it's just super satisfying to like here you go, Gavin, roll one of these instead of one of your Thor dice. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. very awesome mechanic (laughs) so Uh, like i love i even love that to me it's like the super powerful ability but sometimes they just roll a large straight and you're like oh i did all that and then you just got your one of your best abilities on your board all right well congratulations (laughs) one of the best uh things about dice throne is starting a new game of dice throne because you have this fresh it's like a fresh, unwritten story that, that you don't know what's going to happen. And by the end, there's, there's, there's going to be all sorts of narrative that has happened throughout the game. And what Scarlet Witch, actually, what I love about her is she's just like a race to the bottom. She's just a damage output hero. She just cranks out the damage. And she has no defense. So she ensures that, you know, the game, you're either going to put her down or she's going to definitely put you down if you wait too long. So you got to put her down fast, and that kind of just allows you to play another play game of dice throne quicker. <laughs> yes. So, so Gavin chose Thor, and you chose Scarlet Witch. With those those two characters, and then you have the the first two seasons of Dice Throne. If your two characters were going to go and have a beer with one of the other characters, who would each of those characters go and have a have a beer with? Who'd they hang out with from the first two seasons? Uh, Thor would probably hang out with the Paladin because they they uh, they probably have a lot in common, like you know they have armor and shields and or sorry they have armor and you know they're just they're medieval sort of style get up. I think they'd get along. Um, I would, yeah. I I would. Uh, it'd be a big party with the Barbarian and the Pyro and the and Scarlet Witch. All the chaos. <laughs> That would be all the chaos, all the all the big hitters. And they would all be bragging about how they how often they just get squished, but they don't care because it's just so so satisfying. <laughs> well, this was a blast. I'm super stoked for Marvel Dice Throne. It can continue to sit on my shelf with the rest of my Dice Throne as soon as it gets here, so that Sweet. the kids constantly pick to play it. <laughs> awesome. Thank you guys so much. Thank you for supporting us. Yeah. Thanks for having us on. There is a demo on Tabletop Simulator. You can get to it through the Kickstarter page. But was there anything else you wanted to let fans of Marvel games or fans of Marvel or fans of games know before we close up the interview? Uh, just thank you for everybody's support who's already backed us. And, uh, you know, even if you don't back the campaign, no problem. Hopefully you get to play it at a convention or something. Um, so, yeah, I think that Dice Zone is... I say often that it's not, you know, it, it is. They they designed it with uh, Manny and Nate designed it, you know, for themselves. But Dice Throne is really a game for everybody, and there's heroes, you know, whether you're into Euro games or, you know, you're into just very simple games or you're new to gaming. There's a hero literally that we've designed for everyone, um, and yeah, I hope that one day everybody gets to try it. 
Yeah, I, I would just add that you know we 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 built it to try to encourage people to come together and play games. And yes, at its core, it's a game about squishing the other person. But there's just something fun about getting families and friends together to battle and throw dice and get excited. So we're hoping that Marvel Dice Throne just kind of continues that legacy of encouraging that kind of environment. Thanks again. We really appreciate you coming on. And check out the Kickstarter and the Late Pledge if you listen to this later um, through the Kickstarter homepage, I guess. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Thank you.